Jewish Money Matters episode 305, Ask Yael, retirement episode with special co-host Emily Guy Birkin. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters, the podcast where Jewish wisdom and spirituality meet your money and your business. Money is a means to serve God in this world with joy, to build a life that leaves an imprint way beyond our time in this world. I want you to discover the secrets to Jewish wealth, to gain practical and spiritual tools to break free from the shackles of financial worry to design the joyful, rich life that your soul desires. Welcome to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, and I'm so glad you're here. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome back to the show, another Ask Yael episode. Today, we have a full episode dedicated to your retirement questions. I asked if you wanted to talk about retirement, and you said yes. And I received a lot of your questions, and I'm very happy that I did. I seem to have heard from you that it's still a little bit of an enigma, this concept of retirement, and I hear you. Um, so you wanted help. So here we are. And to help me answer your questions, I've invited my friend and colleague, former guest on this show, Emily Guy Birkin. And I couldn't have thought of a better person to help tackle these questions, help me tackle these questions on an important topic. Emily is really a retirement expert. She's written several books about retirement. She's, let's see, choose your retirement, find the Mm -hmm. right path through your new adventure. That already shows you Emily has a sense of humor because like, what's the adventure here? I'm not sure. Okay, but she'll tell us. She's written the five years before you retire. Some of you maybe are there, right? Making social security work for you and end financial stress now. And of course, you're going to recognize Emily because like I said, she was a guest on the show not so long ago last year. She was here with her co-author, Joe Salcihai, talking about her latest book, Stacked, Your Super Serious Guide to Modern Money Management. Emily, welcome to the show. We're going to geek out on retirement? Uh, yes, I am so excited to geek out on retirement. It is my jam. <laughs> <laughs> it's Emily's jam. Can you believe it? I'm so glad I have you here holding my hand through this because honestly, Emily, I have to say this is not a topic that excites me a whole lot mm-hmm. and I'm probably not unusual, right? Yeah. Most people's eyes roll back in their head when you start talking about retirement. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. It just, it seems so amorphous and kind of out of reach. And uh, then you start, it has its own language too. So, you know, you start talking about IRAs and um uh, Roth and, you know, tax, uh, <laughs> harvesting. And you, suddenly people are like, I gotta go. <laughs> I got other things to do. <laughs> yeah. So it's not just the mindset piece. Like I can't envision myself that old. Right. But it's the language. You just reminded mm-hmm. me. It's like when you learn accounting, right. You realize, Oh, this is a whole language. Like mm-hmm. it's literally a language. Maybe they should teach us in college, just a class on the language of retirement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. It's, and something that I, I, I get a little frustrated about in the financial industry is the fact that, um, there are a lot of, um, financial professionals. I'm not going to say all, definitely not all, but who they kind of like the fact that there's this language that keeps people out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of that is it's, um, job security. You know, if, if you have to have an interpreter to help you understand your 401k, uh, uh asset allocation at work, then you're going to hire someone to do that. Um, some of it is also, I think there's a bit of ego in there too. You know, people yeah. like to feel like they know something that other people don't know. Um, What's helpful though is that none of it is that difficult. Um, every single person listening to this can understand it, uh, and just kind of get over that sense of intimidation, uh, and recognize that if people want you to feel intimidated, they're not the person you want to work with. You want to oh, work with someone point. who wants you to understand. 
Good point. Good point. So Emily, let's start talking, tackling some of the questions. Um, our first question comes from Chava and she's very sweet. She says, I really appreciate that you talk about retirement and long-term investing. It's so important for Jewish women to have a resource to get educated and to normalize long-term investing, which in my experience is very rare in our community. Can you explain how to calculate a goal for how much money you should have by the time you retire? Also, can you give a general summary of how a retired person would ideally draw funds from their retirement investments without diminishing the principal too quickly? So we have two questions here from Kava, really fundamental questions, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the first question, you know, my brain went to all these like benchmarks, like mm-hmm. the 25X and then, you know, the the 4% rule and like all these kind of like these, these kind of like, yeah, I guess they're benchmarks. What do you call them? Um, these rules yeah. of thumb. Yeah, rules of thumb. Thank you. Um, help, help us through this because I get that it can be confusing. I mean, it's confusing mm-hmm. to me. I mean, also you have to know what your expenses are and not everybody's mm-hmm. super clear on what that is. So there's, there's, also, there's a lot of variables involved. Mm-hmm. So I actually really like rules of thumb as a place to start, uh, because when you are like, okay, how much time, how much money should I have by the time I retire? If you start with like, okay, well, how much do you spend per year? Okay. You got to track everything. You got to do this. And people all of a sudden are like, nope, no, I can't do that and get overwhelmed. Right. So a rule of thumb where you say like, okay, take 80% or 90% of what you earn right now. That's something, you know, that number, you know what you earn right now. If you earn a hundred thousand dollars a year, you can say, okay, 80 to $90,000 per year is what I'd need. Or Mm -hmm. if you want to say 25 times what you live off of right now. So, you know, uh, 25 times the hundred thousand, that's, um, you know, 2.5 million. Mm -hmm. Um, So now the downside of that is that people hear that number and they go, (laughs) that's a lot of money. How am I going to do that? Um, but that gives you a goal. Okay. So it gives you a goal to be working towards. And it's not, uh, you know, written in stone. You have to have this or else you're going to live in poverty in retirement. Mm-hmm. It's just a, a place to start so that you can start thinking like, okay, that's what I'm aiming for. Um, you know, as I get a little bit closer, you know, I, I can start, you know, winnowing down the the details. But for right now, I'm aiming for that. You know, let's say you're in your 30s and you make a hundred thousand a year and you're like, okay, well, 2.5 million. Uh, how much do I have in in my 401k? Eh, about 40,000. There's not a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. how much do I need to be putting aside each month? What do I need it to be growing to get to 2.5 million in the next 35 years? Mm-hmm. That starts giving you um more ideas and and uh, an uh, uh a path to take to get to mm-hmm. where you need to be. And so that's why I like these rules of thumb as a place to start. Okay. Um, and so, because then once you've gotten started and you're like, okay, well, I've only got 40,000 in my, my retirement accounts. I, you know, if I need 2.5 million, I'm definitely not there. Um, how much can I afford to set aside each month and, you know, kind of get that ball rolling. Mm-hmm. As you, and then getting that ball rolling gets you more in tune with what your money is doing and gives you a better sense of then you can feel more confident about like, okay, well, how much do I spend per, per year? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, some of that money that I spend per year is, you know, taking care of my parents. Um, and that's may not be something I need to be worried about in 30 years. Um, so, you know, what are some things that might change between now and then? Right. So uh, that's why I, I like these kind of like baselines, benchmarks, rules of thumb to to kind of give you a place to aim for and just view it as that, as as um, as you know, like the what your your target, what you're going for. Yeah, I like that. 
Yeah. Not something set in stone that if you don't have it, if you miss it, you're going to, everything's going to be ruined. It's not like that. Um, so, so what are some of those? So we mentioned the 25 times expenses. Mm-hmm. What are related to earnings? What's that? Cause I've heard different things here. So, um, many times you'll hear people say that you need to plan on about 80 to 90%. Sometimes it's as low as 75% of, uh, what your annual income is. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why I, appreciate that one is that uh generally we know what our annual income is. Yeah. yeah know, that's that that's easy. an easy number. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh and so if you're saying like, okay, I'm gonna aim for 80% of my annual income, I make a hundred thousand, I need eighty thousand dollars per year to live on in retirement. And then that from there you can say like, okay, well and if I want to live on eighty thousand per year, multiply that by twenty five. And you're going to be testing the, the limits of my math. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, my, me too. There's a calculator here. <laughs> um, you see, guys, even retirement experts, we don't have to be good at math. Yes. Okay? yes. You don't have to be good at math to be good at money. <laughs> so, <laughs> that right now. <laughs> um, so that would be, um, that would be about 2 million instead of 2.5 if, mm-hmm. if you were. Um, and so that 25 times rule. Um, the reason for that, that has to do with the 4% rule. So here's, here's what that is. Um, the, our investments, we can generally assume they're going to make, um, no less than six to 8% per year. Okay. Um, so, uh, there have been years where they have made less than that, but there are plenty of years where they make more than that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, if you're making six to 8% per year, if you take 4%, of of that amount, you will only be taking from growth each year. And so the principle will remain the same. So if you have a $2 million nest egg mm-hmm. and you take um, $80,000 each year um, to, to, to live on, presumably you will never touch the principle. It will stay there forever. And so uh, you will never run out of money and you'll have money uh, left over to leave a legacy uh, when when you pass away. Got it. Uh, and so that's, that's a, um, an easy way of kind of looking at it. Mm-hmm. Um, now as for Chava's question about, um, drawing funds from your di- retirement investments, it gets a little more complicated there. Mm-hmm. So in a perfect world, you would have things invested and you would just take that 4% out. Um, the problem is there are some, uh, years where you are not only earning less than 4%, you may be earning a negative percentage. So people who were looking at their, uh, retirement accounts through, through their fingers, uh, this past year because past they, year, right. because the market went down. Um, or I, I knew a woman who was supposed to retire in 2008, um, and, and couldn't. She had to wait a year. Um, so, what I like to tell people is to um, create buckets of investments. Okay. So this is um, uh, often called the bucket investment or excuse me, the bucket retirement um, uh, rule or um, mm-hmm. bucket strategy. Uh, and so you'll have some portion of your investments will be in something that's stable um, that uh, will give you some uh, return, but is basically just maintaining its uh, its principle. And so those are things like uh, cash equivalents, like CDs, um, money markets, and um, savings accounts, those sorts of things. So that if you're planning on retiring, let's say you had planned on retiring in 2022, 
um, and the the uh, market went <laughs> right. <laughs> right when you right. plan on retiring, right. your first year's worth of uh, of um, uh, Spend- living expenses. expenses would be in something that is not affected by the right. Market. You won't touch those investments accounts yes. because you're they're on the red. So, yes, right, yes, but you have other so- money you can live off of. Yes. So you have other money that you can, you can, uh, um, um, feel confident will be there, uh, and live off of that first year. And generally you want to have about one to three years worth of, of, uh, uh expenses in those kinds of accounts. Mm. Then you'd want, um, a second bucket, which is going to be for, um, medium term. And so that's for things that you're planning on, um, on, uh, touching sometime like uh, um accessing sometime in the next like in five years five through fifteen or so. And of so retirement. Are, of of retirement. retirement. Yes. So those are the uh investments that are going to be um have a little bit more risk um uh but still less risky than like the stock market. So um in bonds, certain mutual funds, those sorts of things. Uh and so those are the things that um you feel uh, pretty good that there, the money will be able to, um, be there through any kind of, um, uh, fluctuation in the stock market. Um, but you are allowing it some time to, um, to grow during that early part of your retirement. Mm-hmm. And so. For instance, if you retired in 2022, you had some money in like cash equivalents that you're living off of, you might be um, transferring money from your bonds the, um, for that uh, five to 15 year uh, into your, your living expenses bucket um, mm-hmm. as you go. And so that one, it's uh, you would do rebalancing about once a year. Mm-hmm. Um, where you'd say like, okay, so my bonds have done really, really well. Um, do I want to put more of that money into the stocks, which is going to be the last bucket? Cause you're not going to touch that until you've been retired about 15 years at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and give that time to, to grow more. Or do I want to put it into my living expenses to make sure that I have enough? And so you'd be doing that kind of rebalancing on, um, on a yearly basis at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that final bucket is for, uh, long-term investing. So one of the things that we tend to forget is that just because you retire doesn't mean you're not investing for the long term. Right. So retirement you, is a while. <laughs> retirement is a long time. I mean, we live, um, we live long lives these days. Yes. Yeah. Thanks God. Um, and yes. <laughs> so you want, you know, if you retire at age 65, um, there, it's very likely that you'll have money you need when you're 95. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that means you can invest like a young person when you're in your 60s and 70s by putting money in something that you do not plan to touch for 15 to 20 to 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and that regular rebalancing is about if you have a banner year in the stock market, um, you want to make sure that you capture that money. So it doesn't, uh, you know, it, it doesn't go down the roller coaster. Uh, you could put that into your medium terms, um, uh, investments, your, your bonds and things like that. Uh, so where it's going to be a little bit more stable, but you feel confident the money, um, will be there and that principle is going to be protected. Mm-hmm. And so, um, or if you have a terrible year in the stock market and, and things are really, really low, you can say like, okay, it's going to recover. Right. I don't need it next year. I don't even need it in five years. Give it a chance to recover. It'll be there when I need it, which right. is going to be 10, 15, 20 years from now. I I have to tell you, I love this explanation because I hadn't thought of retirement in this way in buckets. Mm-hmm. That's usually how I think about 
just now, right? My mm-hmm. life as a younger person, but this really gave me a great perspective um, to look at this period in life. And, you know, when you talk about rebalancing, I guess here's where having a good financial advisor probably mm-hmm. comes into play. I mean, although some people could do this themselves, but mm-hmm. having somebody who really is aligned with your goals and can help make sure that that's happening properly is is, is a good thing to have. Absolutely. Yeah. My my dad was a financial uh, planner. And so I grew up in the industry and I, I tend to have a, a fairly rosy view of it because of that. Um, uh-huh. And, uh, um, but I also know that it can be really difficult to find a financial planner that you feel comfortable with and right. that, that you right. trust um, and that you want to work with. Um, I kind of liken it to when your kids were little, finding a babysitter. <laughs> Um, so it could, it sometimes took a little while to find the one that you felt like this person I can partner with. I know that they're working with me. They know that I'm the one in charge, but, uh, you know, they're going to do what I need them to do to take care of what's important to me. Right. Right. Um, Right. Right. So, you know, kind of bringing the same energy to interviewing and finding a financial planner as you did for finding, you know, a babysitter or nanny or, you know, something like that, um, Mm -hmm. or school, if you were looking for, for the right school for your child, you know, uh, it's, it's a similar sort of, um, uh, situation and, and we tend to get intimidated when it comes to money. We're like, yeah. oh my goodness, I just, okay, I just shut down. Um, and we can't afford to do that with kids. Like we can't afford to be like, oh my goodness, this decision is too hard. I can't do it. What they're just not going to do. <laughs> we don't no, do that. Bad idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, um, so we, so if you kind of bring the same kind of energy to it, I think that that can be really, really helpful. Um, and, um, recognize it might take a little while to find the right person. Um, but, you know, as you keep looking and as you do the work to, uh, to feel confident with your money decisions yourself, that, um, I feel like that makes it easier to yeah. to uh, do those interviews and find the right person. Yes, yes. So this is not to suggest that you should wait till you find the perfect person to start investing for retirement. Correct. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so Emily, we have a question here from Anonymous, and she asked, "What are the best ways to structure retirement accounts for business owners and employees?" And when I read this question, and we we kind of talked about this earlier before we hit record, um, we had the same feeling, which is there are a lot of variables here. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard to give a definitive answer. Answer. What what would you suggest to her? Where at least should she start looking? Just some ideas. Yeah. Um, so the retirement accounts for business owners and employees depends so much on how big the business is, how many employees you have, right. uh, the amount of revenue the business has, um, their tax implications as well. Um, so one of the things that's really beneficial, um, right now is there's a lot out there that is kind of like, um, just a turnkey version of these things that you can get from a major broker. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you go to Fidelity, if you go to Vanguard and say like, Hey, I I'm a business owner. I have five employees. What are the options for me? Um, there are, there are plans out there that, um, they try to make it easy as possible for you. Oh, cool. Um, so there's, uh, uh, there are also options available, um, for that are like for solo entrepreneurs. So there's, um, uh, solo 401ks. The IRA is for anyone. Um, there's also the SEP, um, SEP IRA and SEP 401k. Uh, so those are options as well. Um, 
one of the things that uh, if you do not have a financial planner um, or uh, like if you have an accountant for your your business, they may also be um, like a good source uh, if they don't have the information, they know who to 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 turn you to. And since they mm-hmm. know your business, they'll they'll know like what um, what's going to be the right choice for you. Love um, that tip. So you can, uh, you can find out that way. Um, or again, if you just go to the, those big brokerages, um, the ones with the name recognition, you know, Fidelity, Vanguard, you don't want to go to Big Bob's house of brokerage. Um, <laughs> Nothing against Bob, people. <laughs> Nothing against Bob. Um, and, uh, and kind of just, uh, they have often a lot of uh, good information just in their, their, uh, blogs yeah. and their website that'll kind of, um, uh, walk you through what your options are and what you might need to know, um, before you kind of start this process going. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the, you know, the benefits of, you know, living in, in the future, like we do is that <laughs> you have all of these options at your fingertips. It can feel overwhelming because there's so many options. Um, but, you know, kind of going through there, um, and, you know, partnering with someone who knows your business, um, knows your business finances, uh, I think can be really, really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I like that tip a lot. And, and, and then this is a perfect segue to Hillary's question about, Hey, I don't have an employer sponsoring a retirement account. Mm -hmm. I work for myself. Where do I even begin? Right. And Mm -hmm. I think we just touched upon this, right? Um, you still have options. Mm -hmm. If if you live in the U S and by the way, I, I'm pretty sure Hillary, if I'm thinking of the Hillary who asked the question, I pretty sure she doesn't live in the U S but let's just start with what are our options if we're in the U S. So if you're in the U.S., um, uh, first and probably easiest option is an IRA. Right. Um, and uh, that was it used to be called an individual retirement account, and they changed the I to... They did? Yeah, they changed the I to something else. I don't Independent. know Independent? <laughs> Independent, something like that. <laughs> um, it's, yeah. <laughs> so um, the easiest is an IRA. You can open an IRA um, very easily, uh, yes. pretty much anywhere, like at banks, at brokerages. Um, uh, I mean, there, there are any number of places you can open an IRA. Um, opening it is the easy part. Um, the harder part is going to be, um, uh, making sure you fund it. Um, this is so important, by the way, (laughs) so important. So many people I've been guilty of this when I was younger, open such an account and we think it's going to get funded by itself. Mm -hmm. It doesn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We have to actually do something. Yeah. So, um, you, uh, you can set up, um, automatic, um, funding to your IRA. Um, even if, so, you know, you think of automatic funding for, for retirement through a workplace, um, Mm -hmm. because you can have that kind of thing with the 401k, but you can also just automatically have money transferred from your checking account to your IRA on your payday. Um, and so that's, that's something that you want to do. There is a uh, maximum that you can, um, put into an IRA and that's $6,500 as of, um, 2023, um, for, uh, and, that is the, uh, an amount that you can then have, um, deducted from your sal, your income so mm-hmm. that it is, um, uh, it is the taxes deducted and you pay taxes, um, in the future when you take money out. Uh, so that's, um, that's another potential benefit is it can lower your tax burden currently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
The other option that I, I like to recommend to people is to look into the possibility of a Roth IRA. Um, so Roth uh, is the um, type of IRA where you put the money in that you've already paid taxes on. So if you mm-hmm. put $6,500 into a Roth IRA, you do not get to deduct it from your taxes. But the benefit is it grows tax-free and when you need it, you can um, you can access it tax-free. Mm-hmm. So um, it does not affect um, taxes on your social security if you're um, accessing it in retirement. Um, it does not affect, you know, any other taxation that you might, uh, might have. And so in particular, I think that a Roth IRA is helpful um, as a place to save money for potential future health, uh, health costs. Uh-huh. So if heaven forbid you have a cancer diagnosis in your eighties uh-huh. or, you know, you break a hip or, you know, have some other kind of health problem and you need to um you need to pay for a nursing home stay um and there's quite a big out of pocket expense if you take that money out of a taxable account like a traditional IRA or 401k you are going to have to pay taxes on that money and it also can uh cause more of your social security to be taxable um and it can just kind of snowball into this large additional financial problem. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you have money set aside in a Roth IRA um, and you have some sort of healthcare problem and you need a big amount of money all at once, you can take that money out and it does not affect anything else. I love it. Uh, and so that's, that's something that I, I recommend. Now, the thing to remember, you can have a Roth IRA and an IRA at the same time, but the maximum amount that you can, um, contribute is, um, an aggregate. So if you have both a Roth IRA and an IRA, you could put say 3000 in the IRA. You could only then put 3500 in the Roth right. IRA. This is an important point. The yeah. 6500 limit is for both. It, and yes. also there is also something else that the Roth IRA has a lower income limit, right? So it's yes. something to take advantage if you haven't passed that threshold. So mm-hmm. presumably anybody in the audience who's younger who maybe I don't remember I don't know what the threshold the income threshold is, is right now. Somewhere around 118,000, I think for. Yeah. And it um, might vary if you file jointly or whatever, but you can easily Google that number. Um, Mm. and if you're not making more than a certain amount, I think everybody should jump on the Roth Mm -hmm. IRA bandwagon. (laughs) Well, especially because, um, if you look at it this way, your taxes are on sale now. Because if you are early in your career and you're making $50,000 a year, you are paying a lot less in taxes than you mm-hmm. will when you are at close to the end of your career, you're making 150,000. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you are, are paying the lowest level of taxes now that you ever will. Right. So, um, and so that's, that's something that I think, uh, a lot of people don't necessarily, um, know or recognize. It's one of the reasons why I also recommend to parents of teenagers, if your teenagers are um, earning any money, open a Roth IRA for them. They need mm-hmm. to, they, you can't, uh, you can't open a Roth IRA for someone who doesn't have earned income. So if, you know, you can't open one for a newborn, right. um, but, uh, so if your, you know, 14 year old is, uh, is babysitting and earning mm-hmm. money, you can, um, put, um, no more than what they've earned for the year. So if all right. they earn for the year is $500, all you can, all that can be put in there is $500. Um, but, uh, 
and it does not have to be their $500. Just, just mm-hmm. so, so if, for instance, you know, they, they make $500 a year, um, you know, mowing lawns and babysitting, um, they can, you can, um, set it up so that, uh, um, money, uh, you are donating basically money into their Roth IRA. Yeah. Um, um, but no more than what they earned. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, it's like you do an employer match. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, and so, and that's something because it grows, um, uh, uh tax free. And, you know, if you've got a 14 year old and, you know, they've got 50 years to let that money grow. Um, and then it could be uh, just a huge help to them um, in their retirement. Um, right. Or even prior to that, there, you know, there are other ways that you can access money from a Roth IRA for things like a, um, a down payment for a house yes. um, and a couple of other things. Yeah. It so, has some flexibility. It's, 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 it's a good account. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, it's also um, really helpful that, um, any money that you put in that is just your contributions, not growth, right. can be taken with, uh, can be withdrawn without penalty. Penalty, right. Um, right. So, you know, if you put $6,500 in a Roth IRA this year and five years from now, you, you need money for some reason, you can take that $6,500 out without any penalty or any, um, any problem because that is just your money. You know, mm-hmm. you've already paid taxes on it. You don't need to worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. You actually reminded me, I've been meaning to open a Roth for my kids because I have an Upma account for each of them mm-hmm. and it's worked great. And, mm-hmm. you know, they put, they, they make money and they put, they know that's like, Oh, you put, put all of this in the long-term investment account, just leave $35 in my checking account, like but their savings account. Right. <laughs> um, but I think I'm going to open a Roth for each of them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as well and um, have them also put money there or I will put money there. Okay. So, um, so thank you, Hillary, for your question. And this was a great answer. Now I will say, Hillary, if you live abroad, this might not really apply to you, but I think I've mentioned before on the show that, you know, every country is different. Uh, so look in the particulars, but you know, a traditional brokerage account also is a good thing. So, you know, look into, we've talked about eToro before on the show. We've talked about interactive brokers, look into those ways to just open, uh, a traditional brokerage account, at least get started there. I mean, I don't know what else can I say? Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, um, let's see, what do we have here? We have something from Lily. I love Lily's question. Do you want to read it, Emily? I love this one. Sure. Yeah. Lily asks, um, any advice on how to manage putting money away for ourselves while also thinking about our aging parents and their greater life expectancy, both theirs and ours, and also being available to be a present and generous parent. Um, this is a great question and it's such a difficult one, you know, trying to it, juggle right? multiple generations. And it's the um, reality of so many of us, mm-hmm. like the, the sandwich generation, right? Yes, and yes. yes, we have to take care of ourselves, but also, you know, maybe we're going to be helping our parents. We also mm-hmm. want to keep helping our children. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's a, it's a conversation to be had and mm-hmm. not with your spouse, definitely. And, uh, probably with a financial advisor too. What would, what do you say? So I think the first thing is to kind of um, think through what it is you want to be able to do for your right. parents and for your kids um, and what is feasible for you to be able to do. Um, you know, what we want to do is, is often more than what we can do. Right. So, um, you know, kind of having that like, um, you know, okay, everything is perfect. Here's what we do. Okay. Everything's not perfect. Here's what we can do. 
Um, and so that's, that's kind of the, the conversation to have with your spouse, um, and mm-hmm. with, uh, with your financial advisor to be like, what are, what are the options? If your parents are open to it, I think it's really good to bring them in on these conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that that can be very difficult. Yeah. Um, a lot of parents feel uncomfortable talking to their adult children about finances. Um, you know, they, there's, and for, for great reason. I mean, for one thing, they remember changing your diapers. So it's very <laughs> weird to them <laughs> to be talking money with you. Um, and then there's also, you know, just uh, certain cultural and generational expectations about money um, can make this a very difficult conversation. Uh, so one thing that I think can be really helpful is to um, kind of bring them in on it in a way of like, you know, my spouse and I, we're, we're working on figuring our, our retirement out. Do you want to work with us on this? We've got mm. these worksheets we're going to go through. I thought maybe you and dad and I could all sit down together and, and, and work through it. Um, you know, it'd be great if anything happens. We'll know where to find the important information. Um, and kind of just, uh, have it be a learning experience for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that I think can be, um, a much more fruitful, uh, conversation than like, you know, saying to your parents, okay, here's how's how it's going to be. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> or, or just ask, I know, I know right. you're leaving the world soon. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, I actually, I love, there's a, um, a graphic novel. Um, it's actually a graphic memoir, I guess you'd call it by, uh, Roz Chast, who is uh, a cartoonist for the New Yorker. Uh huh. Um, she was an only child, um, and her parents had her rather late in life. And the book is called, Can't We Talk About Something More Pleasant? <laughs> And it's about anytime she would try to talk to them about money or retirement or the end of life uh, care, they would say, can't we talk about something more pleasant? <laughs> and and so uh, that I found to be a really helpful, um, it was very funny and poignant and sad um, story of, of, you know, how she helped her parents as they, as they neared the ends of their lives. Wow. Um, uh, and it helped me kind of understand what, is helpful for talking to your parents and what is not helpful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so I highly recommend that to, to your readers. I'm looking, I'm going to look that up. I'm an only child. So my brain went like, Oh yeah. <laughs> and every time I bring it up, it's like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's set up a time. Let's set up a time. And I don't never have like, mom, when are we talking about this mm-hmm. stuff? Well, you know where all the passwords are. I'm like, no, but we really have to talk about numbers, mom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, uh, so that, that's something that I think is, is really, really helpful. The other thing, is to um, think about things in terms of uh, generationally for your children and, you know, potential grandchildren. Um, So we want to give our kids the world. We want to, we want them to be able to go to school without debts. We want to be able to pay for their, their, you know, gorgeous weddings. Um, We want to help them with the, with the down payment for the house. Um, The question I recommend people thinking through is like, is this something your kids will thank you for in the future Mm -hmm. if it affects your finances? So, you know, if you um, are able to get them to go to school without debt, but you don't put money into your retirement account because of that. And so you have to retire to their basements. Are they going to thank you or would they prefer to to come asking them for help? Right. Yes. Yes. But you make them a gorgeous wedding. Yeah. Right. Um, and so having those kinds of, um, thought processes of like, it's more than just the moment. It's more than yeah. just, you know, the milestone. Um, and that you can be 
um, supportive and there for them in so many ways, including financially without Mm -hmm. harming your own future. Yeah. Um, and making sure that you, you kind of keep that in mind as you make your decisions. Um, because your kids know that you love them. Um, they know that you are proud of them and, um, finding the ways to make that work with your own life is, Mm -hmm. is I think, um, it's very difficult for, for, yeah. for all of us. Um, but I think that's more of what your kids are going to be thanking you for. And, you know, going back to this conversation about Roth IRAs for kids or Utma accounts and all that, even having these type of accounts for your children and these type of conversations, you know, I, I often find that my kids have asked several times, well, what's that money going to be for? And I say, well, one day you're going to want to buy yourself a house or mm-hmm. one day you're going to want to open a business or right. So it's kind of planting the seed like, oh, my parents are not necessarily going to give me this, right? Because mm-hmm. they, they're they going to have their own financial responsibilities. So they're kind of giving me the gift of a, an education and understanding and, 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 and money that's compounding mm-hmm. and growing, right? So, you know, I'm, I'm thinking it's also part of that ongoing conversation and you could feel okay with the fact that you're not going to be necessarily going to give them everything. And it's sort of already been, the seed has been planted. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Absolutely. Yeah. That's uh, comes to how my husband and I talk to my, our kids about college. Right. Um, So we, we talked to them about how um, we have money set aside in a 529 account for them. Um, it's our goal that they be able to go to college without debt, but some of that depends on where they choose to go to college. Um, so they will probably, because of the way that we've set money aside, be able to go to a state school without debt. Mm -hmm. If they want to go to a small liberal arts college, like I did, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, they may have to take on some debt. And so like, is that, that's, that's up to them. They have Mm -hmm. those choices. Um, and you know, whether it's worth it to them or not is, you know, the sort of thing that they're going to have to navigate themselves. Right. 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 Yes. I love that. Okay. So Emily, Aggie asked about, and I've heard about this. Uh, you're going to laugh because I'm, I don't keep up with the news and I'm sure you do, but like, I know there's been a lot of press recently on mm-hmm. laws impacting retirement accounts. Can you give us a little bit of a briefing on what is it that we should be looking out for? I mean, not to get panicked by all like what what, what do we need to give us the headlines? What do we need to know about what's going on? <laughs> so, um the Secure 2.0 Act, which um was signed uh by uh, the president in December 2022, um has uh, several different things that are uh will affect retirements. Um the first one is it's uh raising the age for required minimum distributions. Mm-hmm. So uh, with a required minimum distribution, when you put money aside in a tax deferred account, like a traditional IRA or a 401k, um, the government needs you to start taking some money from that at some point um, because they need to take those taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to be that the required minimum distribution started when you were 70 and a half because, you know, 70 and a half is such an easy benchmark. Yeah, right. Um, I mean... <laughs> Is that, that's only for the 401k though, right? Is it also for the IRA? Uh, that originally it was for the, uh, that was also for the IRA. Oh. Now, as of, I think 2017, uh-huh. the uh, RMDs was raised from 70 and a half to age 72. Right. 
now as of 2023, the um, RMD is now for age 73. And as of uh, 2033, mm-hmm. it will be age 75. Okay. So if you are under age 70, um, if you're going to be 73 between in the next 10 years, that's when your RMDs will be um, uh, due. If you are going to be, um, if you're not going to be 73 until 2033, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. then uh, you do not have to take it until you're age 75. So mm-hmm. It's, it's a, it's a a long phase in, and because it's such a long phase in, um, uh, most people who it affects will have a sense of that it will affect them, um, Mm -hmm. before, before that happens. So, but that's one of the big ones that's going to, um, help a lot of, um, potentially help, um, folks who, um, uh, don't want to take um uh, more money than they need. Right, right. So so it's a positive thing. That's what I'm I'm thinking, right? For the most part, yes. Okay. Um okay. so there are folks who um the folks who don't need to take money from their retirement accounts are going to be able to just leave the money in there for longer. Mm-hmm. Um and so uh as with anything with uh you know tax related, retirement related, the uh, effects are going to be felt differently for people who are lower income versus people who are higher income. Mm-hmm. So people who are lower income, it's probably not going to affect them at all because they need to take what they need to take. Mm-hmm. Um because that's that's all the money they have. Folks who are higher income, that just means that they can put off when they take it. Um mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it will increase the minimum that they need to take mm-hmm. because the required minimum distribution is based on your um the actuarial tables of your life expectancy mm-hmm. and uh, the amount that you have. So if you've got a big amount of money in your 401k oh. and you're 75, the the actuarial table has you I I, I don't know, it's something like 12 years. So uh-huh. you've got to divide your what you have by something like 12. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so you end up taking um a relatively large a chunk, right? Yeah. Right, 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 right. And this kind of goes to those buckets that you were talking to us about mm-hmm. earlier on. Cause if you're still in that medium term bucket, I mean, you're not really touching that. So mm-hmm. you're not, yeah. Unless, unless you hit that age and you have to, you're forced to, but yes, it just yes. depends where you are in the, I guess, age wise. Okay. Got yeah. it. Got it. Um, some other retirement provisions. Um, there's going to be an increase in catch up contributions. Well, that's good. That's good. uh, Yes. Right. Um, in, uh, um, if you're age 50 or above, you can, um, uh, send an additional thousand dollars per year to your IRA. So if you, um, uh, you know, for $6,500 for someone who's under 50, you can send $7,500 if you're over 50 for your IRA. Um, gosh. Think, or I'm sorry, if you're 401k, your 401k, it was like a, an additional 7,500. Nice. Um, as of 2025, people who are um, 60, 61, 62, or 63 can send an additional $10,000. Nice. So um, it's, uh, and then there's going to be some um, inflation, uh, tied to inflation catch-up contribution differences starting in 2024. So you'll have to check each year because it's going to be um, uh, tied to inflation. Yeah. I mean, all this this is helpful, but again, it's not to say that we shouldn't be taking care of this now, Mm -hmm. which again, goes back to the psychology, right? Because you don't, 
you don't know if you're going to have extra $10,000 to put in, yes, you know, like yes. really the earlier we begin, mm-hmm. the better it's going to be. Don't We don't want to be playing catch up, I guess. But if we yes. have to, then I guess we have better options now. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the other big ones are um, uh, automatic enrollment in 401k plans is going to be um, um, a requirement. Um, so it, it's right now employers have the option to create an automatic enrollment into a workplace retirement plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that means that the employees are automatically um, signed in with um, um uh, somewhere between 3% and 10% of the, of the income going into um, the 401k and the employee can opt out if they choose to. Um, as of 2025, automatic enrollment is going to be a requirement for oh, employers. Wow. Um, wow. And so every employee will be um, automatically uh, enrolled based on um, the I think so part-time employees will, um, will qualify if they, um, work at least 500 hours for two consecutive years. Okay. Um, and, uh, full-time employees are automatically enrolled as soon as they start. Um, and then, uh, this is for businesses with, um, more than 10 workers, mm-hmm. um, and businesses that have been in, in, uh, uh, companies that have been in business for at least three years. I'd love to see that come with some sort of education from, employees because I mean, from employers to employees, because I mean, I remember being 21 and, you know, having my first job and yeah, I enrolled, but nobody, I I didn't, I didn't have a clue. And and Mm. there was nobody like, it wasn't like the HR department was having uh, workshops with us and teaching Mm -hmm. us. What Mm -hmm. is this all about? I mean, this should be kind of standard. What else do they do in that department anyway? Yeah. Yeah. Um, these are, it, these, these sorts of, uh, now I do really appreciate the uh, going in this direction because, um, you know, when I first started working, probably when you were working, it was, um, opt in, not opt out. Yes. Um, right. And so the, um, creation of like, uh, automatic enrollments made a big difference because so many people would be like, okay, yeah, I know I need to do this, but it's going to take some time for me to figure it out. Exactly. So I'll set it aside and I'll, when I have time, I'll look at it and, you know, never happened. Um, so, so that's a really good thing, but excellent. If we could do more of, um, uh, education on what this is, how it works, what your asset allocation, um, could be to, to, to benefit, um, your, uh, your eventual retirement goals and all of that. Um, now for a lot of these 401k plans, they will automatically enroll you probably in, uh, target dated funds. Right. Um, and those are funds that specifically have you, um, enrolled to kind of, uh, aggressively, um, invest in things that are high return with higher potential risk, um, for like the first 20 or 30 years that you're working and then like gradually switch to, um, lower risk, lower return, um, more likely to, to maintain principal as you get closer to retirement. So. Uh, that is also like, I'm glad to have that as a, as an automatic option because that's something yeah. that is going to be really helpful for a lot of people. Yeah. So I like the concept of target date funds. The only thing that I'm a little bit hesitant about it in general is because I find that they tend to be more costly. So, I mean, it's better than not, to, like if you're not going to do anything, then mm-hmm. put your money on a target date fund. But, you know, um, I don't know, it tends to be more costly, but there's, I guess, there's pros and cons to everything. It, it's um, it's one of those things where like it, it's better to have that 
then, and the, the more costly than right. like um, a, an imperfect solution that is always used is yes. better than a perfect solution that's only used like 20% of the time. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. And when we're talking about this topic, definitely. So, so true. I love that. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. So we have another question. Final question from Leah. Um, how can one structure your their career and salaries to get the maximum payout from social security? I'm deferring this to you because you have a book on social security and I know nothing about social security. <laughs> Um, so, uh, with social security, your, uh, the amount that you receive is based on your 35 highest earning years. Mm. So, um, if you worked every year from the time you were 15 until you were 65, you've got, you know, 50 years of earnings. And so the 35 highest year earning years are, are the, are easy to, to determine. Um, if however you, um, took time off in the middle to raise children care for parents or something like that, if you have only like 30 years of employment, um, they fill in the missing years with zeros. So, um, if you don't have 35 full years of, of, um, working, then it really is, um, uh, very beneficial to um, replace those zeros and keep working until you have 35 um, years hmm. of earnings. Um, and so that's one thing that, that, that can make a huge difference, you know, so, you know, just someone who has worked 34 years and is thinking about retiring, um, you know, work one more year, it will make mm -hmm. a huge difference in, in, mm -hmm. in your um, uh, monthly social security benefit. Um so that's, that's the main, um, uh, difference that you're going to see with your social security payout. Um, the other aspect of, um, getting the maximum payout, um, with social security, you get, um, what's called your, um, uh, and sorry, my brain just, <laughs> just, it happens to me it, all the time. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm laying on the phone, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> My youngest is nine. Can I still say pregnancy brain? No, I'm sorry, Emily. If I can't say it, you can't say it. I'm not giving you that pass. So just stick with the phone. So, um, so you get your uh your um the monthly payment amount um is based on when your full retirement age is. So uh if you are born in 1965 or later, your full retirement age is 67. So um you can take your uh your payments uh as of age 62 uh -huh. but for each month under your full retirement age it's reduced by a little bit so mm. up to about 30 percent so if you're supposed to get um a thousand dollars per month if you take it at age 62 you might only get uh 700 mm. but if you wait to take it past your full retirement age it's increased by eight percent per year so if you're supposed to get a thousand dollars and you wait, um, uh, at 67, you wait until you are 70, which is the mm -hmm. end of the, the period where it makes any, uh, where you increase it, uh, then you would get, uh, $1,240 mm -hmm. um, per month. Cause you get 8% per year. So 24%. So that is, um, another aspect that people don't necessarily think about, or they will use, uh, the break even point. Um, so the break-even point is, um, so if you take your, your, um, 
your social security benefit at age 62, mm-hmm. you are getting five years of benefits from 62 to 67. Right. Um, even though it's reduced. And then if you start at 67 to get, you know, the full retirement age benefits, um, how long would it take at the full retirement age benefits to catch up to the money you got mm-hmm. from 62 to 65 uh, or from 62 to 70? Uh, and the break-even point is generally around age 72 or 73. Okay. The thing about that way of looking at it, and people will look at break-even point when it comes to like, um, if you are getting a more efficient car, you know, you'll look at break-even point, you know, I I bought this more money, I spent more money on this car, but I'll break even at this point in in the cost of gas. Um, The problem is if you look at the break-even point with social security, the only way to win is to die young. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> a very nice option. <laughs> Whereas if you're looking at breaking the point, point with a more efficient car, the only way to win is to, to, uh, drive the car driving, right. for, for a long time. And, and you can generally do that unless you're in a car accident that's not your fault. There's no other way. Like just drive it efficiently and well for, for many years. Um, the other aspect is you're living on a much smaller benefit for a, for life. Um, and so at age 62, that might not make much of a difference because, you know, if it's not enough to live on, you can go back to work, but at age 92, mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to go back to work and you're stuck with that $700, um, social security benefit. And I'm using that as an example, cause it's easy right. math. I'm not actually <laughs> expecting anyone that, you know, just a thousand dollar social security benefit. Um, so that's something that I think, uh, people kind of get stuck on the, like, well, I want to make sure I get the maximum amount of money that I put into this program. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's an understandable viewpoint, but, um, look at it from the point of view, like what's going to, what am I going to be most glad I did when I'm 98? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, rather than like, I want to make sure that I don't get cheated. Um, that's, that is going to be uh, a situation where you may regret that. Whereas if you say like, okay, what's going to be best for me if I live to be 98, if I live to be 102, what's going to be the Mm -hmm. best for me? What's going to be best for my family? Cause the, the survivor benefits for like widow or widower, or if you've got, um, dependents is going to be, uh, based on what your, um, your benefit is when you take it. So if you take an early benefit, the widower, widower benefit or um, dependent benefit is going to be based on that smaller amount. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that thinking about it as like trying to create the best benefit for yourself when you can't work or for your loved ones when you're gone is yes. going to lead you to a much better choice. So it's another incentive for listeners to get going on those retirement accounts because yes. then you won't be forced then you quote unquote, to yes. pull to take the early benefit for social yes. security you won't need to touch social security yet hopefully mm-hmm. yes gotcha. um so the if you if you have a robust retirement account then uh, social security can just be the icing right um, and so it, it'll be a nice to have you know that you can use for you know, travel or groceries or, you mm-hmm. know, or, you know, to give to the grandkids or, you know, whatever it is that you want, rather than it be something that you're relying on to make sure that, uh, you know, you, you can keep the lights on. Right, right. Emily, this 
was not only super informative, but I actually had a lot of fun. Who would have known retirement fun (laughs) in the show? I am so grateful. Thank you for your generosity. This was amazing. Tell listeners where they can find you. And also tell us about this budgeting challenge you've got going on. I'm I'm a part of it. Tell us about that. So um, you can find me at my website, emilyguybirkin.com. And that's E-M-I-L-Y-G-U-Y-B-I-R-K-E-N.com. I am also in 2023, I have launched a a um, budget reminder service mm-hmm. where I am sending out uh, weekly emails to remind people to take care of their budgeting. Um, so my first cohort was in January. The uh, I'm doing uh, cohorts by month because mm-hmm. uh, it starts off with five intensive uh, emails, uh, one a day for the first week of the month. The next one starts February 6th. And then after that, it's the weekly emails. And then I will also have additional challenges. I'm going to be offering Zoom calls to help people with taking care of their financial stuff. Because I know a lot of times it's just hard to get started on something. So knowing that there's someone there who can answer questions, who can help you with stuff. And then I'm also sending out additional reminders or I've got um, several tiers for the budgeting reminder service. There's the free tier. It was what I've been describing. Then there's paid tier. You'll also get twice a month emails reminding you of kind of the big picture money stuff, like rebalancing your accounts, getting ready for taxes, setting up your social security website information, all of that. And so if you are interested in that, you can find that on on my website under coaching and then go to financial reminder service. I love it. I love it. I love it, Emily. Thank you so much. And of course, we can find all your books on Amazon or anywhere books are sold. And I think it behooves us to start reading and implementing. (laughs) Thank you so much for this. It was great. Thank you. It was so much fun. Thanks to Emily for being here with us, tackling your questions. This was great. And thank you, Lily, Hillary, Leah, and Anonymous for your questions. If you have any follow-up questions about retirement or about anything else on your money mind, you know, money, like we say, touches so many aspects of life. So, you know, anything related to it, you know, we try to tackle it all. Judaism and money, of course, always at the forefront, but money and children, money and marriage, money in your business, hit me up. You know where to find me, Yael at yaeltrush.com or you can DM me on Instagram at yaeltrush. I hope you have a Shabbat Shalom and I will see you here next week.